singing this morning. You may be seated. Good singing indeed. That last hymn was especially powerful on the third stanza. Every soldier, sailor, airman, guardsman, and as I learned for our new Space Force guardian, and every Marine hopes for the day when all weapons will be vanquished because of the peace that comes in Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter number 2. On our ordination Sunday in April, I started what accidentally became a fun series, and I preached then, What is a Pastor? On Mother's Day, I preached, What is a Woman? Seemingly something we don't need to have explained, but apparently in today's world we do. Today, I am preaching on What is a Soldier? It seems appropriate on today. There'll be a couple more of these. On Father's Day, we'll preach, What is a Man? On the Sunday morning following Father's Day, I will preach, What is a Child? Again, some of these seem to be very easily definable, but the world tells us today that kids who cannot vote, drive, or smoke can tell us what they want to do with their bodies. We need to be reminded what a child is. On the Sunday for Fourth of July, we'll look at, What is a Nation? Does God have rules for countries? And the answer is most certainly He does. And we'll look at some of those. Our country was founded upon them. It's a wonderful Sunday to do that. Uh, And then in November, we'll have one last one that I'd like to tag along, and that is what is a veteran. It'll be another patriotic Sunday for us in the month of November. Forgive me as well this morning. My voice is a little weak. They put me on an antibiotic, and when we were singing for the choir, my hands started shaking. I don't know, if, probably getting old, I don't know, but it's the antibiotic. Jessica was going to make me take my third dose this morning. I said, let me wait until after church, and then it'll completely kill all the sinus infection that's in me. Uh, we'll do it then. So if I get a bit of shaky up here, I have to take my water. I'm doing okay. Maybe it's me being moved in the spirit. We'll see. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Father, help us, I pray this morning, as we... Reminisce just a little bit about the soldiers of our country. But then at the end, as we take a few moments, I pray that you would help each of us as soldiers of the cross to understand who we are and just what we should be. Give us grace and strength. Give us a sense of remembrance for all, not just that men before us and women before us have laid down for our country, but most importantly, what Christ himself gave to each believer present here this morning. Bless, I pray, in this hour and in this preaching, in Jesus' name. Amen. Memorial Day is when we honor those who gave their lives in service to our country. The most decorated soldier of World War II was Major Audie Murphy. How many have watched any of Audie Murphy's movies? Hallelujah. Would you ever think a Hollywood star would be the most decorated soldier to ever wear a uniform? 
Well, he was a soldier before he became an actor. He played himself in one of his own movies. Audie Murphy received the Medal of Honor, the highest honor that a soldier, sailor, marine, airman, or guardsman can receive. He received a distinguished service cross. He received two silver stars. He received a legion of merit with combat valor. He received two bronze stars with combat valor. And by the end of World War II, Murphy was awarded a total of 28 medals from the United States and from other countries for his heroism in combat. Yet for all of his distinguished service, Murphy was originally denied enlistment to the Marine Corps for being too short. You Marines. And one time years ago, joked with a friend of mine because I knew this story who was a Marine. And he said, yeah, just imagine what he would have done if he was a Marine. (laughs) I love banter between the service branches. We had a good time as a choir practicing the song that we sang. Because in the choir, I think it's predominantly army guys and the wives. It was only Pam was in there, I think, defending the Marines. I'm not sure. Dan, we missed you. We could have, we could have had your help and support in that sense. They were traveling. Major Audie Murphy enlisted in the U.S. Army in 1942 at the age of 17. On January 26, 1945, then Second Lieutenant Murphy was with the 3rd Infantry Division at Holtzvier, France, when the men were attacked by six German panzer tanks and 250 infantrymen. According to his Medal of Honor citation, Murphy ordered the rest of his men back into the woods while he remained alone, firing at the German troops and tanks. When an artillery tank destroyer was hit and caught fire behind him, Murphy climbed on top and used the 50 caliber artillery gun to fire on at the enemy. Completely exposed and at risk of blowing up, for an hour he held the position. Holding off the German advancement, killing 50 Nazi soldiers in the process, he was wounded in the, le- in the leg, which won him the Purple Heart. Following his time in the army, Murphy went on to become an actor, portraying himself in his own movie. That would be pretty cool, I think. There's nobody that can play that part but the guy that played that part. Courage, my friends, is not some heroic act that everyone will know and read about. Courage is simply doing the right thing at the necessary time, even if it brings fear into your heart. A fellow World War II veteran, Bill Carpenter, once was asked about bravery. Here was his comment. It was very revealing. He said, you show me a man who says he was brave during World War II, and I'll show you a liar. Every one of us was afraid. Even the Germans were afraid. When I see the picture that I used for the background this morning, I'm always struck by what happened at Normandy, June 6th. We will celebrate the landing at Normandy, D-Day as we call it. To know what they went through was just a microcosm of what every soldier went through in war. While fear is always present, it is courage that carries the soldier through the fear to fight for something that is greater than themselves. This morning, I want to answer the question, what is a soldier, as the title is assigned for us this morning, to both our country's service members, but also for the church members that serve. Soldiers of the country and soldiers of the cross. We start with soldiers of our country 
in our outlines this morning. We now have six branches of the military. The Army, the Navy, the Marine Corps, the Air Force, the Coast Guard, and the Space Force. Now, no one in the auditorium stood for the Coast Guard, but I always got to give my tip of the cap to Brother Mark Byram, who watches online religiously every Sunday morning and Sunday evening and Wednesday evening. I'm sure Brother Mark was standing. He's my Coast Guardsman that always reminds me what Semper Paratus actually means. It is weird, though, to say that last one, Space Force. Before 1908, I would remind us that it was weird for everyone to say Air Force. And so we understand that there is a new development in the progress of man, and our country notes it. So when we consider the soldiers of our country, what are the things that we should know? Well, we're going to look at their motivation, we're going to look at their mission, and we're going to look at their mandate. For when we see the second point this morning, the idea of you and I being soldiers of the cross, we're going to see those same three things in the passage that we looked at here in 2 Timothy 2. We begin by seeing... Our soldiers, sailors, marine, airmen, coast guardsmen, and guardians, that their motivation is in the commitment itself. Their motivation is that they have given their word. They've made a commitment. Duty is the central value of what the military branches call esprit de corps. Does anybody know what esprit de corps means? Those who served are nodding their head. Yes, I understand what it means. Esprit de corps simply means, it's an old French statement, that means the common spirit that exists in the members of a group and inspiring within that group enthusiasm, devotion, and strong regard for the honor of that group. In other words, why do the branches cut at each other in a fun-loving way. Why do they poke at each other? Because within their unique service branches, they have their own microcosm of esprit de corps. It is an overall hodgepodge, if you will, or a melding of what we as a nation believe, who we are. It is a rarity in America that we've ever had to have drafts. You say, really? Stop and think about it. How many times have we actually had to impose a draft In our country, not often. It's actually only in the later years of our country when we have lost nationally the spirit of camaraderie, the esprit de corps, that which binds us together. Why is it that we don't have to have drafts? The answer is because Americans inherently know what we have is worth defending. Enough of our populace believe in common moral and ethical principles that are in unity with one another so that we can have a shared commitment or a common duty to what we are defending. Those service members who sign up to serve, who volunteer possibly to give their very lives, understand that liberty found only in America is a rare thing indeed, and they are committed to keeping our freedoms secure. That's why they sign up. Those who serve may initially sign for a host of reasons. It might be physical reasons. It might be financial reasons. It might be social reasons. But all of them in their time in service learn that serving your country is a duty. It's a commitment. It's keeping your word. We live in an age where men and women do not keep their word anymore. Boy, you look at the service members and I appreciate that they do keep their word. It is because of that commitment that our nation's service members hate to see the destruction of America from without or from within. 
I have talked to many, many a service member in recent years, and they are perplexed as to what is going on in this country. Those who have served are duty-bound by their commitment to ensure that this country is not harmed by evil, either foreign or domestic. It reminds me of a story I once heard of Sergeant Dan Crowley. He's a wonderful example of the motivation of commitment in a good soldier. Sergeant Crowley first enlisted in the Army at age 18. He was stationed at Nichols Field in the Philippines. It was before the United States had been attacked by Japan and had declared war on the Japanese. However, the day after the U.S. declared war on Japan, the Japanese attacked the Philippines and the U.S. Army base there, including Nichols Field. Crowley, assigned to an aircraft unit, was not used to combat, nor was he trained in it. But immediately, everyone had to improvise and leapt into action. Using antiquated British machine guns on hand, they mounted an air defense. Unsuccessful, but powerful nonetheless. Crowley and the other soldiers who survived the overwhelming air raid from the Japanese crossed Manila Bay to Bataan Peninsula in the dark of night to avoid Japanese detection where they joined other U.S. troops and continued the fight. As Japanese forces closed in, Crowley and his fellow soldiers swam then through shark-infested waters to avoid capture. Eventually, they were all found by the enemy and became prisoners of war and were made to walk the Bataan Death March. For nearly three and a half years, Crowley endured terrible conditions and forced labor in Japanese imprisonment. He was eventually released after Japan's surrender. Crowley was finally recognized for his commitment and sacrifice, the article I read said, at age 99. Sergeant Crowley's comments on his service time speak to his motivation. Courage means to me that when the time came that you were called upon to do the right thing, you did it. That's what it means to be motivated by commitment. Our service members inherently know this, or maybe as one person once said, it is drilled into them to know that. Their motivation is commitment. Secondly, their mission is in their creeds. Have you ever stopped to look at what our service branches actually say they want to do? It is highly commendable. Would to God that every American would live to the standards of some of these creeds that we're going to read this morning. Listen to the creed of the United States Army. Their ethos, the largest, this is what their their actual mission statement says, the largest and oldest service in the U.S. military. The Army provides the ground forces that protect the United States. Here are their core values. Listen to this. Loyalty, duty, respect, service, honor, integrity, and courage. Now somewhere there's a Marine that's making fun of how many words... The army used. Scott in the back is smiling from ear to ear. It's typical army. If you don't know anything about joint warfighting, when I used to work for the Pentagon, our contracting company took care of joint warfighting in the JADIS system. And it means that after three miles in, the Marines, or I think it's 20 miles in, the Marines have to give up the land to the army. And they always will say, those Marines, the hardest miles are the first 20. And then when we're done doing our work, we give it over to the army. That's what an expeditionary force does. The Marine Corps maintains amphibious ground units for contingency and combat operations, per their mission statement. Their core values are the same as the Navy, and they are honor, courage, and commitment. 
Navy is America's forward deployed force and is a major deterrence against aggression around the world. The Air Force says in their mission statement that the Air Force provides rapid, flexible, and lethal air and space capability that can deliver forces anywhere in the world within hours. That's a good mission statement. Their core values are these. Integrity first, service before self, excellence in all we do. By the way, that could be a very good motto or a core statement for a church. Integrity, service, and excellence. The Coast Guard provides, according to their mission statement, law and maritime safety enforcement, marine and environmental protection, and military naval support. Their core ethos is, in service to our nation, with honor, respect, and devotion to duty, we protect, we defend, we save, we are semper paratus, we are the United States Coast Guard. For the Space Force, their mission statement reads this way, to boldly go where no man has... I'm kidding. You see how the service branches always like to poke at each other? No. There's actually read, space, the final front... No, that's not it either. I think it's like in a galaxy far, far... No, that's not it. Somewhere, somewhere, there's going to be somebody online that sends this to a friend that works in the USSF, and I'm going to get a mean email. The United States Space Force is responsible for organizing, training, and equipping guardians, as they are called, to conduct global space operations that enhance the way our joint and coalition forces fight, while also offering decision makers military options to achieve national objectives. I put the four C's of what they stand for there in your notes. Each of these military branches serves in their respective capacity to make a cohesive joint warfighting force in our military. Their mission is clear. When I was a contractor, as I noted, for the Pentagon years ago, one of the small things our company did was to manage the JADIS database. It wasn't an awe-inspiring task. It was managing a database, I remind you. But it was important for them. When wars are fought, there are mission objectives for each service branch, and the joint warfighting doctrine dictates who does what, when, and where. It's no different than what we have in our Bible. And in our church, in our daily lives, there is mission directives given to us. Whether it's mechanics or medics or the elite specialist, every soldier, sailor, marine, airman, guardsman, or guardian must know their part in the overall mission. They must follow the orders given and stay within their operational parameters, else everything on the battle space falls apart if everybody just goes and does their own thing. Their motivation is their commitment. Their mission is found in their creeds that they hold themselves to. Finally, their mandate is in in the Constitution itself. Who can quote to me Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution? How many of you knew that there was a Section 8 of Article 1 of the Constitution? Maybe that's why our country's in the shape it's in. We have a hard enough time finding where one of the 66 books of the Bible is, let alone telling us how many articles are in it, our Constitution, our founding doctrine, how many amendments there are to it. Article 1, Section 8 begins this way, The Congress shall have power to, and amongst its enumerated powers, it says, provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States. Down in paragraph 10 of Section 8, it says this, To define and punish 
piracies. Isn't it great to know that our founding fathers wanted to punish pirates? Hallelujah. By the way, in their day, it was a problem. That's where our Navy and our Coast Guard came from. To define and punish piracies and felonies excuse me, committed on the high seas and offenses against the law of nations. It goes on to say to declare war, grant letters of mark and reprisal, and make rules concerning captures on land and water. To raise and support armies, but no appropriation of money to, to that use shall be for longer than two, a term than two years. To provide and maintain a navy, to make rules for the government and regulation of the land and naval forces, to to provide for calling forth the militia, to execute the laws of the union, to suppress insurrections, and to repel invasions. Finally, they are to provide for organizing, arming, and disciplining the militia, and for governing such part of them as may be employed in the service of the United States, reserving to the states respectively the appointment of the officers, and the authority of training the militia according to the discipline prescribed by Congress. That is one of their core responsibilities in the legislative branch, and it seems like they don't care about it anymore. No wonder their approval rating is in the tank. They've forgotten the basic things that they're supposed to do. By the way, Article 2, not the legislative branch, but Article 2 deals with the executive branch. Somebody got it. I appreciate you out there. Section 2 of Article 2 says the president shall be commander-in-chief of the Army and Navy of the United States and of the militia of the several states when called into the actual service of the United States. That's all our Constitution says about our armed services. But every single soldier, sailor, marine, airman, guardsman, or guardian takes an oath when they become or either enlist or become an officer that they will protect and defend what? The Constitution of the United States. Our our service members do not swear an oath to a politician, nor do they serve a political party. I'm going to be careful here. They don't even serve an ideal. They serve the Constitution expressly. In our present divided state of America, it is increasingly difficult, I'm sure, for service members to draw strength in serving our country. It's why our recruiting numbers are not making where they should be. Our nation, friends, if we cannot rally around what we commonly hold as agreed beliefs, is in trouble. The soldier's hope is in the founding of this nation, the formation of liberty in the limiting of government, protected by volunteer citizens. Now, as we transition to the soldiers of the cross, I must say this. Our U.S. military is unrivaled in the world. Yet without diligence, duty, and discipline, there is a chance we lose our fighting edge. We are in danger today of decline. In fact, in our service ranks, we are in great danger of decline to pre-World War I status. If you know anything about history, when we entered World War I, we had atrocious losses on the battlefield because our service members were called what? Doughboys. Do you know why they can't meet recruiting numbers today? Kids are too fat. Pastor, you can't say that. I'm not shaming anybody. I'm just stating a fact. We have too many kids that sit at home with sticks in their fingers watching TV and movies and they don't go out and do the things that are necessary in life. Work. Athletic endeavor. Achievement. 
You say, I didn't know you were going to backhand into me getting my kids out. It's summertime. Get them outside. Even those kids like me that have really bad allergies, drug them up and send them outside. (laughs) That's all that some of you will take from this message, I know. It is striking that Paul's admonition to the church in 2 Timothy chapter 2 is to a young pastor in Timothy, he includes the fact of being a good soldier. By the way, Paul himself was likely chained to at the worst or housed with at best Roman soldiers as he writes the very words that we read this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. As believers in Jesus Christ and as members of Christ's body, the church, we have to ask ourselves... What is a soldier of the cross then? If we've defined what a soldier of our country is with their mission and with their mandate and with their their motivation, if we know what the soldier of a country is, then what are we as soldiers of the cross? And the answer is given to us in these verses. Paul writes to Timothy that the soldiers of the cross have motivation, have a mission, and have a mandate. In verse number one, we find letter A, our motivation is in God's grace. Our motivation is the grace of God. You cannot be motivated by anything other as a soldier of the cross. And if I'm I'm addressing you this morning as a soldier of the cross, it is someone who has put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior. That is salvation. That is your only hope of a home in heaven. And it's the only way that Christ becomes your King. He is your God, whether you accept Him or not. But He is your King when you yield your life to Him in salvation. Yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I need Jesus Christ to save me from my sins. And so as a soldier of the cross, we have a proper motivation, and that is His grace. Notice what he says in verse number 1. Thou, therefore, my son, be strong. In other words, strengthen yourself. Be ready. Be settled. Be established. In what? The grace. That is in Christ Jesus. As soldiers of the cross, we must be ready to give and share God's grace with others. I'm afraid that the modern church, even our church perhaps, is filled up with, is not, I should say, filled up with properly motivated soldiers. Motivated to share with what has been shared with them. Motivated to give as has been given to them. Timothy here is told by Paul to be strong in the grace. That means established and motivated by it. How do you live your daily life? Are you motivated by the next thing that God would have you to do? Or do you already have this week already planned? Well, Pastor, tomorrow's barbecuing day. It's national barbecuing day. I already got plans for that day. Right. Jessica and I do too. We decided on a barbecue and day we're going to barbecue with a lot of church members and come over because we want to share God's grace with them. We want to continue to have fellowship one with another. Maybe it's in your family, but where you go, you need to be a Christian there. The problem today for soldiers of the cross is when we go into the workplace, we forget that we're soldiers of the cross. I'm not asking you to be militant. Do you know the soldier in Ephesians chapter 6 is given mainly defensive weapons? The only offensive weapon the Christian soldier is given is the Word of God. It's not your opinion or your bad attitude or your lack of motivation. This is your only weapon. And if you don't know it, you can't use it. 
We're motivated by the grace. And he says, be strong in that grace. To allow the compassionate, kind, soul-seeking grace that drove Jesus Christ to the cross to drive us to share our faith with our fellow man. Will you be a soldier of the cross? We are in a war, my friend. There's no debating that. It's not like I need to convince you of that. Look around you. The world hates everything this book says. And increasingly in our once God-blessed nation, we see the carnage and chaos of what progressivism and leftism has done. It's a return to God, not right politics. It's a return to God that this land needs. And it's soldiers of the cross that will do that. As soldiers of the cross, our motivation is God's grace. Like our country's soldiers, we too have a mission. And letter B, our mission is the gospel. It's in verse number 2. You say, well, I don't really see the gospel in verse 2. The picture of the gospel is not just presenting saving faith, but it's presenting all of what faith is. It's saving, sanctifying, and glorifying faith. It is the whole process from beginning to the end for the soldier of the cross. And so he says to him in verse number 2, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same, what did he hear among many witnesses? What did Paul teach? What did Paul preach? What was it that he witnessed Paul doing? And that was sharing Jesus Christ with others. He says, what you've seen me do, I want you to do. Our mission is to share the gospel. Moms and dads with our kids first. Then out in the community. Timothy heard Paul share his faith and testimony likely countless times in their travels together. Paul says it is now Timothy's time to take up the charge. You know, our church family is uniquely blessed. When Jessica and I planted the church 15 years ago, it was just she and I. We didn't know who would ever come to join at Bluegrass. We're grateful for all of you that are here today. That you would stay and listen to a goober like me is a testimony to your patience. The truth be told, the building of the church is at God's hand, not mine. And as he has brought us together, I am amazed at the differing ages of the church family. Let me ask a couple of questions. In the early part of the service, I asked about those who had family members that were in service. So I'm going to ask a Christian soldier question here this morning. How many in here, how many believers, I should say, in Jesus Christ have been saved for more than 40 years? Would you stand up? Saved for more than 40 years. Look at that. How fantastic. Now don't start clapping yet. I mean, we'll, we'll do that in just a minute because now you're just going to be clapping for yourself. Stay standing if you're able to. <laughs> How many in here have been saved more than 20 years joined them? More than 20 years joined them. Stand to your feet. How fantastic. How many have been saved for more than 10 years? Hallelujah. Now, I want you all to stop for a second and look around. I want you to sit down. Thank you. And we will give you your recognition. If you've been saved for less than 10 years, stand to your feet. Hallelujah. How wonderful is that? 
These are soldiers of the cross just like you and I. Thank you, you may be seated. And I will say, you don't need to clap, you just need to say an amen to that. Amen. How wonderful it is. May I give then a word of encouragement to some of our old Christian soldiers here? Find some of those new recruits. The church's success is not built upon how well I preach. The church's success is dependent upon soldiers of the cross looking out and finding other soldiers of the cross that they can help along in the journey of life. That's what Paul is saying here. If you see a young Christian couple, man, take them under wing. Invite them to your house once a month. That's why, by the way, doing the combined services, it gets a little crowded. This morning's not as bad as Mother's Day was, but it gets a little crowded. I know we usually do the two, but maybe hang around until the second service begins so you can see who some of those young couples are if you're an older couple. Because, boy, they could use an old ear to bend. The Bible tells us to go to what? The old gray hairs. My boys were making fun of me. They said that by the time I get to the stage of gray hairs, it'll be the old no hair. (laughs) They're probably right. They just got disinherited. What we need within the church is families that are willing to share the gospel, not just outside the walls. Yes, we need that, but also sometimes within the walls. This is what gospel living is meant for us. It's meant we had to cut out this and we had to add this. It means we've had to put off that and we've had to put on this. That's what gospel living means. That's our mission. My goal when I planted bluegrass is that we would have a church that would make a generational impact on central Kentucky. I was told when I came to plant here that every independent Baptist church that's ever been started in Georgetown has never made it. I've been told that many, many times. Now, I know two or three that have. (laughs) Miss Francis is here visiting and she's smiling. Victory's a fantastic church. There's other good churches, but it's a hard area. I will not doubt what they say. But the only way it becomes a generational church is for generations to interact with each other. Soldiers of the cross. Those young lieutenants have to learn from the captains who have to continue to learn from the colonels who have to learn from the generals. And my dad was in the army, so I don't know all of the Navy ranks. We just knew what to make fun of them on Army-Navy game. But the point is those youngers have to learn from the olders. As soldiers of the cross, our motivation is God's grace, our mission is the gospel, and finally this morning, our mandate is to be godly. That's what he says in verses 3 and 4. What is the mandate? What is our constitution? What makes us who we are as believers? And the answer is that we endure hardness. God-likeness, that's all godliness is, or to be godly, it's like God. God-likeness forms endurance, Paul says, and it frees us from entanglements. When I want to be like God, I can endure anything. And when I want to be like God, I can be freed from anything. So what he tells us in verses 3 and 4. Paul states that being godly, a holy Christian, will be hard for you. It is difficult to understand what to, excuse me, it's not difficult to understand what to do, but it is difficult to do it. 
It's not hard when a preacher says, put off the old flesh, the old man, which is corrupt, and put on the new man, which is created in Christ Jesus. We know what that means. We just don't want to do it. I I know the preacher's up there, but you know what? I only got to put up with him for probably four or five more minutes. It sounds like he's winding down. He's on the last point. I'm ready to go. I don't really need to listen to this point. And I'm telling you, listen to this point. Your flesh, this world, and Satan do not want you to succeed. They want you to be dead on the battlefield somewhere. They all stand opposed to the mandate that Paul gives. You must resolve to live godly and patiently persevere with a pursuit of who God is in His very nature. The mandate forms in us an endurance, a patience and persistence that we never knew we could have. So he says, thou therefore endure hardness. Why? As a good soldier. It's a benevolent soldier. One who by God's grace has been changed is what he's saying. And finally, it frees us from entanglements. The inhibitors to our success spiritually is directly connected to what those or those things that we allow to have attachment in our life. The only thing that inhibits our spiritual growth is the things that we allow to inhibit our spiritual growth. The word, or the word I should say, entangle here, is in the Greek, impleko. We derive our modern word, implicate, from this Greek word. Implicate is often used in a courtroom setting. Is there enough evidence to indict or to implicate this person of a crime? And what he says is, do not let the things, the affairs of this life, be implicated in your life. Don't let it be so obvious that you want to live like the rest of the world. Live differently, he's saying. The soldier who is deployed, I often have talked with TJ about this, and I enjoy hearing many of his stories about receiving care packages from home. But the soldier who is deployed understands that their life back home is not what they're part of at that mission, at that time. For that time and for that season, the soldier, the marine, the sailor, the airman, whatever they are, cannot be paralyzed or entangled with the thoughts there. They have to put them out so they can do the job. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. The world has no place in the Christian soldier's life. You are in a war. Get those entanglements out of your life. But the soldiers of the cross, we must be free from distractions in this life. In closing on this Memorial Day, be thankful for those who have served and have died for our country. If you have opportunity, visit the graveyard. Go and see where a flag is planted. Read or understand how that person served. Their spilt blood has been given to preserve freedom and liberty here for you and I. And for us to take seriously our national values and to carry those national values out into the wider world. That's why America is the shining city on a hill. It is a beacon of light and hope for the rest of the world, or at least it used to be. I believe it can be again if Christians will get serious about their faith. 
But we ought to also remember that as a soldier of the cross, we have a motivation, a mission, and a mandate. And I would say as a pastor, every bit is vital for success as those soldiers of our country do. Father, help us, I pray now as we close. 